0: All right, well, take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter six, verse 17. 1 Timothy six seventeen. and if you have a you know, smartphone and you're just using that, then turn on your Bible to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. And then if you wanna know, the second, the second passage we're gonna deal with today is 2 Corinthians chapter eight. You can kind of... Put your finger in both of those places if you have your actual Bible. And so let's pray, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that gives life, and we thank you that you illuminate our minds with the light of life. So, Lord, we open our hearts. We ask for revelation, we ask for insight, and we ask you for the grace to be able to put it into practice. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I I really uh, enjoy Christmas. As you know, we're in a series called Generous where we're talking about the generosity of God. And I think that's especially applicable during the Christmas season when it is the the season for giving. And uh, I was thinking about how many people deal with last minute gift giving. You know, they just just put it off, put it off, put it off, and suddenly there's a last minute thing. And then all the good stuff's kind of gone. There's some crazy gifts out there. I was doing a little look, looking online. There are, people give the craziest things for Christmas. Check, check, out, check out some of the crazy gifts people give, all right? I found this. This is called the critter comb. The critter comb. It's really a sad little thing, isn't it? Like, like this, is, this is not something I guess people will use in Austin maybe, Um, Maybe, depends on where you're from Um, It looks like they actually put him on that comb When he was still alive And he was screaming (laughs) Next is the uh, nose soap dispenser (laughs) Check that out Wait, Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it It's not a soap dish There's something called the clean stride. Look how ridiculous this is. Personal debris removal system. (laughs) You you connect brooms to your feet so you can sweep. So you can walk around the house and clean stuff up. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? (laughs) And then here, look at down the bottom. Introducing the plow. (laughs) One of three new models. This is crazy. Look at look at this look at this gift. This is crazy. This this gift, this next gift is for the person who has everything. Yes. It's nothing. <laughs> it's a ball of nothing that you can spend your money on to give the person who has everything. They don't need anything else. You give them nothing. Here's all you pet lovers in Austin, you can give the I Feast. I Feast. Yeah portable pet uh, feeding watering system for your mp3 player yeah your cat see your cat can eat while the music's playing and ipod's playing some of you are like wow i really gotta get that that's good yeah (laughs) crazy animal lovers here's a pb and j purse (laughs) this is fun pb and j purse isn't that weird it's not actual peanut butter and jelly. It just looks like peanut butter and jelly. It's fake. Yeah, you guys are like, "What? Well, that's weird." Yeah, that's what I said. It's weird. It's strange. It's so crazy. Here's a remote control tarantula. Yeah, some of you are like, "Yes, I've been looking for that." The remote control tarantula. I, that's where. Tell me where I can find that. Anyway, you can scare your friends and scare your mom. Of course, most of you have been familiar with the Snuggie? Are you familiar with the Snuggie? Okay, be honest, okay? Confession, good for the soul in church. How many of you actually own a Snuggie? Come on, come on. Whoa, look at all these people. Come on, okay. No, you got to own up to it. Look around and see all these people that own a Snuggie. Oh my gosh, that is so weird. I, somebody gave me a snuggie. It's a UT snuggie, so it's like Longhorns everywhere. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so you can see, as seen on TV, this it's a snuggie. But have you seen the creepy baby snuggie? <laughs> Doesn't that look weird? It's so weird. It's like it's like alien. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of cute and then weird, alienish. And then, of course, um, last one. I found this. This is an awesome little thing that you can use for men. It's called the Jesus Shaves Mug. (laughs) Jesus shaves. See, on one side he has the beard and the scissors, and the and then on the other side he's all clean. (laughs) He's shaved. (laughs) Some of you love it. Some of you like that. Is so sacrilegious. That is a, no, come on, you gotta admit, that is a fantastic gift, the Jesus shaves mug. Now, I'm sure it's not anything like the One Chapel coffee mug. I'm just saying. So I was thinking, about. so I just thought it would be funny to talk about some of the crazy gifts people give because I think today what we wanna look at is we wanna look at the the gift giving of, of God and how that translates to us and how we become Generous people because we serve a generous God. If Christmas is the season for giving, generosity is a way of life all year long. For God's people, generosity has to be part of our character, part of our makeup, part of who he's made us to be. And so uh, if we look at John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's generosity towards us is so amazing. I want you to think about this. God, the Father, gave the Son. He gave his Son, Jesus, as a gift. I mean, he's given us many gifts. Creation is full of his gifts. But of course, it's been marred and marked by sin. But God gives us the gift of Jesus. He is his greatest gift to us. But that's not all we're given. Of course, Jesus comes to the earth as a child. He, is, he grows up to be a man who gives his life. There is a demonstration of incredible, miraculous power of love and of the kingdom that is being ushered in and then he returns to heaven. But before he returns to heaven, you know what he says? He says, before I go, I'm gonna leave something with you. I'm gonna send the Spirit I'm going to send the spirit who's going to come and going to live in you. If you think about the disciples and you think about them listening to Jesus and he's saying, now it's really good for you that I'm leaving. That's what John 14 says. He says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you somebody who's even better than me. And you can imagine in their minds, like who could be better than Jesus, There's nothing better than Jesus. I mean, look at all the miracles. Look at all the power. Look at all the signs and wonders. Look at this incredible thing that's been happening for the last three years. And yet the Holy Spirit was God's gift to all of humanity because he wanted to dwell in them. He didn't want to just dwell with us. He wanted to dwell in us. He wanted to make us into the temple that housed him. He wanted to empower us to become like him by the gifts and the life of the Spirit. The life and power, the gifts he gives. I mean, this whole thing is just filled with generosity. And then finally, of course, as the Holy Spirit fills us with his life, then our lives become gifts to other people. Our lives become gifts back to God. We, we give ourselves as living sacrifices to God and we offer ourselves, we lay down our lives for others. The whole message, the whole story is full of gift giving. The whole story is full of generosity. Of course, there are many other gifts. There's the word of God, the authority of Jesus' name that he gives his own people, the love of a community of believers, the the hope of restoration of all things, that Christ will return and make everything right again. Paul the Apostle is trying to coach his young son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2. 6. He's trying to coach him on how to pastor his people. What he's doing is he's saying, "Timothy, I want you to remind your people of this." Let's read it together. 1 Timothy 6:17 says, "Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God." who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The first thing that Paul's trying to communicate to Timothy is he says, make sure that those people, he's not not opposed to people being rich, but he's saying, if you are rich, don't be consumed with your own arrogance. If you are wealthy and well-off, make sure that you put your hope in God and not in what those material possessions can do for you. The joy that God wants to give us cannot be found in mere money. The joy God wants to give us cannot be found in mere material possessions. It's so much greater than that. Paul is encouraging this, this community of people and, and Timothy to live generously and one of the marks of that is, is that our hope is in God and not in wealth. This brings us joy because God is our hope, he is our peace, he is our strength. The second thing he says here as uh, we read this passage is he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Rich in good deeds. You know, everybody's into the charity thing these days. So many people want to do good deeds. And by the way, it's good to do good deeds, But the problem is, when people get into good deeds as a way of being holy, it ends up being incredibly shallow. It ends up being ultimately disappointing. And you can see it in people, you know, um, when there's there's some kind of effort to help a certain group of people, it is so wonderful while that effort's going on, but then the effort kind of loses its appeal, the group that's been engaged in it kind of shrinks down because only the hardcore people really last on this kinda, these kind of efforts. And then as those few faithful people continue to minister to a group that is in need, they either burn out or they get mad at all the people who aren't still helping them. Good deeds always ends up biting you if they don't have the right source. We can never receive salvation from God by good deeds. It's impossible. You can't do anything good enough to get his approval, to get his love, to get His uh, any, any, anything from him, his gift, his generosity. What he wants is to change you, to give you his salvation as a gift, and then begin to empower you, to change your life so that good deeds are the natural byproduct of your life. This is the generosity that Paul is talking about here. And then he finishes with verse 19. He says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Treasures in heaven are a result of things that we do here that allow God to flow through us into others. Relationships are really the only thing we take to heaven with us, right? There's nothing. It's like the, the guy who, who died and he was real rich, and they said, Well, how much did he leave? And the guy said, All of it. He couldn't take any of it with him. Did we get too serious here for you? Too close to home? So here's what I want you to get, and here's what I want to wrestle with a little bit this morning. I want to wrestle with this idea. Generosity comes out of us once we're convinced of God's generosity towards us. I just want to wrestle with this concept, because there's a couple things that happen. One thing that happens is people don't know of God's generosity for them. They don't know the message, they don't understand the appeal of Jesus, and as a gift, or maybe they do understand it, maybe they even love God, um, they, they want to be good people, and, and so they, they, they try to do this thing of, of good deeds that we just talked about, to try to please God. But then I also think there's another group of people that, that they, understand, they understand generosity in, on the face of it but they're they don't really believe they're worthy or somehow worth anything and so, and sometimes what happens is good deeds become a replacement for the the deep dark hole that lives within us that knows how bad we really are i think this is a challenge for christians and people who do not believe alike and so as we dive further into What the Apostle Paul is saying, last week we looked at what Jesus was saying about generosity and how it is better to give than to receive, and we looked at Luke chapter 6. This week we look at the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8. Turn over there, if you will, with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll read through this passage, and then we'll talk about it just a bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Take your pen and underline verse two. It is strategic in understanding the passage because the context here is Paul is challenging the Corinthian church with whom he has had a relational break. They, were, they, they ended up being on a break because they had some problems at the church and they kind of resisted Paul's instruction. Paul writes a first letter to the Corinthian church and he's establishing himself in that relationship but then there's a little bit of a break and some challenges and then the second book is really about him reestablishing relationship, apostleship and so he gets to chapter eight and he wants to challenge them by comparing what's happened to other churches. So Paul's kind of using it, using the story to help them challenge themselves. So he says, the Macedonian church received the grace of God, so much so in the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty. Those, those, these are three things that don't really make sense to most of us. Severe trial, overflowing joy, and Their extreme poverty. These are three things that welled up into the church in Macedonia that resulted in generosity. That doesn't even make sense. How how can you be generous if if you have extreme poverty? How can you overflow in joy if you're suffering a severe trial? I'll just give you a little sneak peek. The grace of God always shows up in great measure in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I'm, I went through a really, really hard time. It was so difficult, but the grace of God was so huge. It's bigger than I've ever experienced before. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you've experienced that yourself. There's something about this grace of God that shows up in the moment when you realize that you're empty of yourselves and you have nothing and there's no way that you can do these things on your own. The grace, the, you know what grace means? What does grace mean? Most people think it means if you've been around church any longer than three weeks, it means unmerited favor. It is true. Grace is unmerited. But the word grace just means favor. There's a favor. It can mean gift. It can mean gift. It can mean gift. And so there's this gift that the Macedonian church has received that's caused them to be able to go through this severe trial with overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, welling up into a rich generosity, and what they were doing is they were helping the the poverty-stricken Jewish believers in Jerusalem, what God was doing with them was so amazing that they decided to give. And, they, and, and notice their attitude here. Verse three says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Wow, how do you give beyond your ability? I can only give what I can give. Not when God's involved. When God's involved, something else happens. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. Everybody say Privilege of sharing in his in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us verse 6 says so we urged Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning in other words Titus was helping them start this collection to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, but since you excel in everything in faith in speech, in knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The Corinthian church was a cosmopolitan setting, the city of Corinth, a lot of stuff went on there, and they they loved talking about the latest ideas, and, and it, it actually was quite immoral as well. There, there was all, all these things going on within the city. It, in some ways, it was a lot like our society and our culture, where all these challenges and ideas and concepts, people want to talk about them. Look what, look what Paul says. He says, you've excelled in faith, all right, in the midst of that kind of culture. You've excelled in speech, in knowledge, you understand things, you're, you have complete earnestness, you've really sought the Lord, you have, you, you have um, understood this love that is kindled between us and now Paul is kind of going for the jugular in a way. You've, you've done all these things, these are all really good things but now in the midst of your prosperity culture, I want you to make sure that you're willing to give. Give. Not being selfish, My no, I want you to notice that Paul is is giving us the the backstory so that we can we can sort of look between the lines and see the motive of what was happening here. Verse eight, he says, "I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others." Well, that doesn't seem very nice, Paul. What he's saying is, I'm not gonna tell you to do this, but what I want to tell you is look over here and see what God is doing over here. That's what I want God to do right here. And he's and he's challenging them in a a, this relational capacity. And I know, I understand, I get it. The wheels start turning. Every time pastors talk about money, there is a tendency for the cynic to come up in you and go, Well, he's just trying to get us to give money. Listen. <clears throat> that is not what this is about and that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. In fact, if you look at all of the words that he uses throughout this section, he uses all these different phrasings, these, these, these Greek words, and then he, 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 he never mentions, not one time does he mention money. Right, he, he, it's understood. There's money involved, but he, what he's using are different words. Look at the words. I'll just just put them up there real quick. The number of words used for the offering here, all all the way through this passage. He's, I'm not going to attempt to say the words. I'm just going to use the English version. Collection, blessing, priestly service, fellowship, partnership, sharing, service, and ministry, grace. Look, the, he's using relational terminology. Because there's something he wants more than just telling them what to do. Verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's using the metaphor here. The analogy of Christ coming from heaven to earth, giving up his godlikeness, giving up his uh, ability to to do whatever he wanted to and submitting his life to his father who comes and directs him. He becomes a baby. He becomes poor. He becomes human. And he did this so that we as humans who are poor, who are miserable, who are lowly, who are lonely, who are broken, who are weak, who are empty, could be filled with something. Filled with something. Is it money? No. Is it, is it doing good things for other people? No. It's something else. Paul wanted them to give something out of themselves, that was not good deeds. It was not just doing it because he wanted them to. Verse 10 says, And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, everybody say willingness. For if the willingness is there, if you're willing, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what one does not have. So many people think they are poor or broke because they focus on what they don't have. It's called a poverty mentality. And people who live above the poverty line have the disease. If you look at our if you look at who we are as a people group in the United States, we are among the top 1% in the world, if you compare us to the rest of the world, in terms of how uh, wealthy we are. I was reading the other day about uh, a story, this is crazy story, I can't believe this, but this is the kind of thing that we're living in, the kind of society we're living in. Here it is, look, this is an 11-year-old boy is arrested for punching grandmother in the face after she refused to buy him a toy at a department store. Listen to this story. This is this is not awesome. It's horrible. An eleven-year-old 11 boy was arrested yesterday for slugging his grandmother in the nose when she refused to buy him a toy at an Ohio department store. The minor was busted by Dayton cops after a witness called 911 to report the assault in the toy aisle at Rose's store. The victim, 60-year-old, Barbara told investigators that the boy punched her after she would not make the purchase. Weeks told police that uh, her grandson tried to land a second blow, but she fled from him to escape being hit again. And the child, who was not identified by police, was charged with domestic violence and transported to the Montgomery County Juvenile Justice Center. It is, and this is the last phrase of the, of the article, it is unclear whether the boy was seeking the toy as a Christmas present. This is just, like, this is so weird. He's 11 years old, and it's so ingrained in him that he should get what he wants that he reacts out of anger and frustration. Now, before you get too judgmental, you and I do the same thing. It's just that we do it in more acceptable ways because we're older. God's trying to help us understand that there's a generosity that he wants to get inside of us a motivation that happens in our heart. I want you to get four things from this passage here. Four things, because what God has done, he's done a genuine act of love for us in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. But we, when we engage in a genuine act of love, this kind of generosity, here's what it is. A genuine act of love is a work, should be a work of divine grace, God's grace in us that makes us more like Jesus. It's not about good deeds, it's not about it's not about trying to be good enough. It's it's something that's at work inside of us. That's that God's having his way in us, that he is using our generosity both to bless others and to bless us, to form us and shape us into his, his image. It's not a human origin, it is not natural to give things away. I don't know if you've spent any time with two-year-olds or 18-month-olds, but they don't really love giving things away. They like taking things. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. <laughs> they don't, you don't have to instruct them in that at all. They know it innately. It's inherent. So when you understand generosity, its origin is a divine work of grace that begins to make us more like Jesus. It is a gift of God to be generous. That's what Paul is saying about the Macedonian church. And it's a, in, in love, when it's acted upon, it is a sense, number two, it's a sense of joy that is demonstrating our real faith. Okay, here's what I mean. When you look at the Macedonian church and they were under severe trial, but there was something that was happening to them in the severe trial that caused an overflow of joy. What was that? What was, the over, what was happening in them in the severe trial that caused an overflow of joy? It was God's immense grace being poured upon them. It was God's great favor in the time of their struggle, in the time of their difficulty, that he was showing up and he was ministering to them. He was, he was, he was, he was um, caring for them. Now, here's the problem. So many of us face a difficult moment in our lives, and we get to this difficult moment, and instead of opening our hearts and lives up to the grace of God, which is the only place we can find this kind of overwhelming joy, we shake our fist at God and say, Why are you doing this to me? The Macedonian church opened their hearts up to the Savior, to their Father. And he began to fill them with grace to handle the difficult trial that they were facing. Look, joy comes into us. It's deeper than circumstances. Joy is something that God does when his grace comes alive in us and we realize we get perspective of eternity and we understand that this moment, this trial, even though it is so hard and so difficult, that there can be a deep and abiding satisfaction in who God is a joy, an enjoyment, if you will, of who he is that then can overflow into the lives of others. This joy, number three, began to overflow in generosity to meet the needs of others. That's what it, that's God's design. That's God's design of his people. He wants to put his grace inside of us, his favor, and then he wants generosity to well up, as it says in this NIV version. It says that this severe trial and overflowing joy began to well up by the grace of God. It welled up into the grace out of of God and graced others who were in need. I mean, you gotta get this. Severe trial, poverty-stricken people thinking about Jewish brothers and sisters that they didn't even know in Jerusalem willing to use their money, willing to use what they had for the benefit of someone else, that comes from somewhere other than our own ability to do good deeds. And then, of course, finally, this is what I want you to get, is that it's something we want to do. It's not not that we obey God because we know we're supposed to be generous. The problem with doing a series on, on generosity is you think that I'm trying to convince you to be generous. Actually, that doesn't work. What I'm trying to convince you to do is plunge into the mercy and grace and love of God. What I'm trying to convince you to do is ask yourself the question, why do I feel so selfish? Why am I acting in such a way that I don't think that God's gonna provide for me? Why, why am I so obsessed with getting stuff for myself? And then I want you to hand that over to God. I want you to repent of your sin and that kind of thinking, and I want you to open up your heart and let God's grace flood into it. That's that's what we're talking about. John Piper is a brilliant author and he phrased it like this in Desiring God. He said, "Love is the overflow of joy in God which gladly meets the needs of others." Love is the overflow of joy in God which gladly meets the needs of others. Paul didn't set up the Macedonians as the model, right, with, with the Corinthian people. He didn't set them up as the model of love just because they sacrificed in order to meet the needs of others. It wasn't just a sacrifice. He stresses how they loved doing this, that they were eager to do it, that they wanted to do it. It was an overflow of joy. And they found pleasure in the grace of God channeling through them. By the way, this is where all pleasure is found is in the work of God going through you. You can't be a a reservoir where it just shows up and God works in you and then doesn't flow to anybody else. The real pleasure, the real mercy, wonder of God, the beauty of knowing God and loving God is he begins to flow through you to others. That's when you lose your selfishness. You surrender it. You offer it up to God It's why a person can give all they have to the poor and give their body to be burned, like 1 Corinthians 13 says in the great love chapter, right? It says, if I give all I have to the poor and I give my body to be burned and yet don't have love, it is nothing. Why? 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 Because those actions aren't the thing. It's not duty for duty's sake. It's not doing the right thing because it's the right thing. It's, it's not just giving up our own good for the good of another or sacrifice, even, that's, even though that's commendable. It is the first, a deeply satisfying experience in the greatness and the fullness of God's grace. And then it doubles because you see it happening in another person because you're sharing that grace with grace with another person. So how should we respond? Here's here's four ideas. When you give, when you become generous, here's what here's how I want you to to do it, I want you to give gracefully. That means when you give, you give knowing that it is the grace of God that is empowering you to do it. You don't pat yourself on the back. You don't say, "Good job, me! Uh, look at how pious I am! Look how awesome I am!" You actually give, acknowledging that it is God giving through you because of what He's done in your life. Second, it's give joyfully overflowing with gratitude and love for what God has done. Give joyfully because there's something here that that you see is going on. I mean, it's happy to give. It's not something that's a drudgery. It's awesome. As I described it last week at the end of the message, there is something wonderful when you see somebody else opening the present that you gave them. Some kind of joy in that. Number three, give intentionally. Give intentionally. Here's what I think. I think as God's people, we do have, I'm not saying that generosity can only be a byproduct. I think it comes from a place of grace, but I think we have to put ourselves in position to receive that grace. We have to make generosity a delight-driven duty. A delight-driven duty. Because we believe, we have faith. Here's, Here's the key. We have faith to believe what Jesus said because what he said was it is better to give than to receive we begin to embrace that by faith and then number four I think we ought to give willingly realizing generosity is an attitude and not an amount Paul says it's according to what you have and what, not to what you don't have You give willingly. You give because it's such a wonderful thing to give because your heart is being transformed. So the greatest gift, the greatest gift any of us can receive is the work of Christ, pouring out grace As we become generous people, giving people gifts, offering ourselves to others, generosity is the love and grace of God that flow out of us in joy to others. It's the greatest gift we can give or receive. I want you to wrestle with that this week while you give presents to each other. Wrestle with this as you evaluate your own life in this season of giving. And let's face 2014 with a new sense of purpose to become a people of generosity. A people who don't do giving because we have to, but we actually give because it's spilling out of us because God's doing so much. And if you have to ask the question, well, I don't think God's doing very much. You may need to open your eyes or you may need to surrender or you may need to Find a a place where you realize you have begin to accumulate out of your need, out of your desire to have versus your willingness to share with those in need. Close your eyes, bow your head, and let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to you for a moment. It's so much better if the Lord speaks to you than if I convince you. So I just want you to listen for a moment. Some of you uh, feel so burdened, so crushed by your own financial position that you're struggling to even be able to hear this. Can I reemphasize to you that generosity is a condition of the heart, not of your finances, not of your wallet. that being willing to reflect God in this way is something that people can do at every level, every socioeconomic level. The gospel cuts across every line. The truth of it, in fact, in fact truthfully, people with more money often have a harder time being generous because money begins to grip them. It holds them. Maybe you are here and you sense that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about your commitment to Him. Maybe you just haven't given your life away to Him yet. Maybe this is a moment during this Christmas season, the season of giving, where you really decide, I'm going to give my life away. Not to others, but first to the Lord. And then let Him work in me so that then he can give me to others. I'd like you all to pray a prayer with me, everybody in the room, because all of us at some level can embrace this idea in a greater measure than we do now. And so I I want us all to pray it, and I want you to pray out loud with me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna re- say the words, and you'll repeat them. And it's not really about the words, necessarily, that I'm saying, but it's about the heart that, yielded to God in this moment. So everybody cross the auditorium. Say this prayer with me, if you will, if you're willing. Say, Heavenly Father, everybody together, come on, one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, the greatest gift you've ever given, who shows me the way by laying his life down. Forgive me for my selfishness, my foolishness, Forgive me, Lord, for doing my own thing, ignoring you. I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Forgive me, Lord. Renew my heart. Clean my conscience from every sin, from every failure, every foolish act. Make me a new person today. Give me a new heart. Give me a fresh start in following you. I choose you today. Fill me with your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. I receive it. I pray for every person who's genuinely praying this prayer, whether it's from desperation or whether it's from a, a place of recognizing that they've been too full of their own, their own selves or their own material possessions. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would teach us all, every person praying this prayer, to reflect the generosity of that can only come from your grace being poured into us. So, Lord, we open our hearts and we just say, pour it in as we are willing to pour ourselves out. We pour ourselves out first to you, and as you pour yourself in, then we're willing to pour ourselves out to others. Help us to understand the origin of being generous so we can reflect you as your people. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name.